Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. So, Imago Day. what does that mean? Image of God. Good job, y'all. Uh, we were struggling with Missio Day last week, but this one, we got the day down. We got the, that's God. But yeah, Imago, image. The image of God. Uh, if you saw that Instagram post uh, this morning, uh, this morning uh, you'll see that, that this is what the background was. Uh, Aaron Davis, one of our, our residents who lives up there, drew, uh, painted this for us. It's really awesome. You should come check it out. And, and these are all the kind of different commissions we're going to be looking at throughout the semester. And we are looking at this one, which, by the way, you should come look at this one. It is kind of funny. Um, I find it very funny, actually. And um, so, yeah, you should give that one a look. But that, that is of Genesis 1. We spent last week in Genesis 1, and we were looking at it through the lens of God. Right? What did that tell us about God? What did it tell us about God that he doesn't just commission after the fall? He doesn't just commission in the New Testament. No, no, no. God commissions from the very beginning. God creates and then he commissions. It's the first thing that God does other than create is commissions. We talked about getting caught up in the very mission of God. And tonight what we're going to ask though is we're going to look at that same text. This is 1, 26-28. By the way, thank you uh, to Emma and Ben for reading that. They did a really good job of reading Genesis 1. It's really repetitive. It's, it's a hard thing to read. They did a really good job. Um, and we're going to ask of, of that text, what does it mean to be human or to Christianize that question? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What are some implications? I don't want to ask that question. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What are some of the implications of that? Where do we tend to go with this? We look like God. We look like God. Okay, what else? We're made in his likeness. Like our bodies. Yeah. yeah. What else? What's the implication of it? God treats us like his offspring. Yeah, we are his offspring, right? I mean, yeah, especially those of us who've been born again, right? We were born of God. What else? What are some of the implications of being made in the image of God? What does it tell us about how we should treat other people? Yeah, right. Like that's, I feel like that's every lesson I've heard about the image of God usually goes there. It's like when you're dealing with other humans, you should respect and love them because they are made in the very image of God. It's the basis for a lot of Christian ethics. One more. Something. But before we jump into that, um, one, of the, one of the things I want you to see 
is, uh, we, you know, you talk, if you uh, remember Genesis 1, 26 to 20, it has to fill the earth and subdue it, right? So there's this sense that humanity is supposed to spread over the entirety of God's creation. But key in on this, I just want you to go, we're starting from the end. Revelation 5, 9 through 10, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve God, and they will reign, as name was talking about, on earth. The Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, I didn't do a very good job of creating spaces, you will be, or you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Genesis 12. No, we didn't even get there. Oh, did I not do Genesis 12? Let's get to Genesis 12. Yeah. Now, here we go. Genesis 12. Go from your country, your people, and your father's house, and to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who, uh, uh, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All right. We're seeing a theme here, right? We're seeing a theme. This idea that humanity is commissioned throughout the entirety of creation. So my question is, why is the worldwide commissioning of humanity a consistent biblical thing? Why? We've already read it. Why is this a consistent biblical thing? Yes, it's God's original design for us. No matter how much we fail at it, which by the way we constantly do, right? We screw things up royally in Genesis 3. Abraham screws things up royally, and I think like even Genesis 13. Israel screws, screws up things royally in the very moment that Moses is receiving this whole idea that you're going to be a kingdom of priests. And the disciples are fraught with struggles throughout the book of Acts. But no matter how much we mess it up, God does not deter from, God is not deterred from his original creational design for us. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number. Fill the earth. Right? Why do we see this throughout the Bible? Because that was God's intent for us from the very beginning. It's our purpose. This is what it means to be human. Christians, by the way, are less human. We are intended to be more human than any other humans that are ever human. If you allow me to put it that way. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. <sighs> to reign over the whole earth, to make disciples of all eight nations, to be a kingdom of priests, all peoples, 
will be blessed through you, to fill the earth and subdue it. It's not just some arbitrary or kind of uh, a, 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 some flippant decision that God just kind of made, right? It is God's intention for us. And it's linked to our very identity. Let us make mankind in our image so that, right, our identity, we are image bearers of God, so that they may rule over the whole of creation, so that they may fill the earth and subdue it. This is God's original creational design for us. And so tonight, what I want to talk about is I want to unpack three implications of what it means to be human by looking at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. What does it mean to be human? To be human is, first of all, to bring order to chaos. To be human is to hallow the whole of life. And three, to be human is to live in missional community. So, I want you to say this with me. Okay, on three. One, two, three. Image bearers bring order to chaos. Good job. Image bearers bring order to chaos. We live in a world that is probably maybe best defined by chaos. There's chaos in society. Corrupt governments across the globe steal from those whom they have been charged to lead well. The worldwide pandemic continues to add confusion and loss to our everyday lives. And we continue to grow ever more partisan and split inside of our country. Our youth minister, Landon, I was talking earlier um, this summer, and he said, I never thought I would live in a time where literally the great cities of America are on fire. And now, by the way, they're on fire in two ways. Because it's not just that there's, there's chaos inside of society. There's chaos inside of just the physical created order. Fires burn the entire west coast of our country. The second hurricane is hitting, the second hurricane of the season is hitting our Gulf Coast. And about one in 10 people that live on this earth suffer from lack of clean water because of drought. And therefore, by the way, also that comes along with it, famine. We live in a world that can easily be defined by chaos. But it's not just in creation, it's not just in society. There's chaos inside of our relationships, right? My pride hurts other people. Other people's prides hurt me, right? And then that leads to hashtag drama, right? We continue to feel lonely in very crowded rooms. Chaos. And we continue to seek for acceptance inside of a virtual world that we live on in social media. We seek acceptance by searing our conscience, by doing things that we know that we ought not do. And there's chaos inside of our very selves. And late June, the CDC came out with a study in which 40% of American adults said that they were struggling either with mental health issues at the moment or substance abuse. 40% of American adults. Chaos. We live in a world that is often seemingly just 
chaotic. And as Christians, by the way, I don't think that should surprise us because the biblical story, the story of creation, the story of creation that Emma and Ben just read starts with chaos. Genesis 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. If you are a Jewish reader of this text, which, by the way, that's who was intended to read this text, right? If you're a Jewish reader of the text, those are trigger words. You automatically start thinking, chaos, chaos, chaos. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. For, for a Jewish person in that world, the waters embodied chaos, right? When you see Jesus like calming a storm, that is a huge deal for them. To tame a storm, to tame the waters, is proof that he is God for, for an Israelite. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, we, Loch Ness Monster, like raise your hand, do you know the Loch Ness Monster, right? Like, like those, those, those stories, by the way, go, go back centuries and centuries, all the way back to there. Um, it was called the Lefot, Le, the Lef, the Le, oh, does someone know the word Leviathan? Thank you, Leviathan, whatever. And it's in Revelation, by the way, the waters are thrown into the lake of fire. Um, because they're so scared of it. By, by the end, end of Revelation, and there will be no more sea. What he's talking about there is, there is going to be no more chaos. It's imagery. for There's not going to be any more chaos. You see, Genesis 1, and its rhythm of, and God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening and this morning and the next day. That rhythm, that story of creation was the story of God bringing order to chaos, and then inviting us to do the same. If you see this in verse 2, we have problems, darkness, watery abyss, formless earth. And then in days 1 through 3, there's preparation. There's a place that is made. So darkness, well, there's the creation of light, and it's separation from darkness. Verse 2, there's a watery abyss, the creation of firmament, which, by the way, in their worldview is the sky. Okay, they like thought they lived in this dome. Ah, that's what they thought. Separation of waters from the waters below. Okay? So it's not a watery abyss anymore. There's, there's starting to be some order to this. Formless earth, separation of earth from sea, right? And then we go on, and then so creation of light and dark, well, the sun and the moon. Creation of the sky and the, the waters, well, creation of birds and of fish. Are you starting to see the order? This is taking us somewhere, isn't it? Order to chaos, order to chaos. Separation of earth from sea, well, creation of land animals. And the crowning achievement of creation, us. By the way, you are. You are the crowning achievement of creation. It's a big freaking deal. God blessed them, and he said to them. So God does this whole thing, right? He's bringing order to chaos. Order to chaos. Order to chaos. And then this is what happens. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and ever, over every living creature that moves along the ground. In other words, be my co-heirs. Be my co-kings and queens. Rule the earth with me. Bring order to the chaos that is outside of the Garden of Eden. The picture that we are given of the Garden of Eden is that it is, it is a confined space on earth. And outside of it, it wasn't bad, but it was not yet tamed. And Adam and Eve were supposed to cultivate until the garden. 
And as they were to procreate, they were going to spread. Their progeny were going to spread over the earth. And slowly but surely, they were going to fill the earth with the very presence of God. As his image bears, right? They represented him to creation. That's the, that's the image that we're given. That's the invitation that we're given and invited into. To be like God to creation. To bring order to chaos. Our world may seem chaotic right now, and it is. But that means it is time for Christians, those who have been renewed and had their humanity restored, to start working. It is times like these more than ever that it is our job as Christians to be the true humans. The ones that live into our image-bearing identity that tells us that we bring order to Chaos. And so a question that I want to linger with you this week. What does it look like for you to be a person who out on that campus brings order to the chaos of our campus? Because by the way, yes, there's lots of chaos. Right. And that leads us to our second point. So this task that flows out of our identity, right? This task of bringing order to the chaos that flows out of our identity as image bearers. invites us to hallow the whole of our life. To bring order to chaos invites us to hallow the whole of our life. So say this with me on three. One, two, three. Image bears hallow the whole of life. Uh, for those of you who know me, I am extremely type A. I use this illustration a lot because I find it really helpful. And one of the things I really liked as a kid uh, was, you know, you'd go to school and you would get, uh, you know, you'd get that little lunch tray. And that little lunch tray had a compartment for your meat, and had a compartment for your milk, and had a compartment for your veggies, right? Probably two, right? So I, mine had like, you know, the meat compartment, then the little compartment here for my milk, and then two veggie compartments. I really liked that. Why did I like that? Because the green bean juice wouldn't flow out and touch meat. The meat is supposed to taste like green beans. One of my least favorite things, and this happened to me recently, Mary Beth and I were shopping, and, um, and, and, and the pickle juice, is like the worst thing ever, right? Like there's a lot of things, like you can take tomato, and there's a little bit of tomato juice, but you can take a tomato off of a sandwich, or you can take lettuce off of a sandwich, and it doesn't really affect anything. But man, the moment a pickle touches a Chick-fil-A sandwich, that Chick-fil-A sandwich has been defiled and ruined, okay? Thank you. Hey, just thank you for those of you who are saying amen. I appreciate that. And snaps, this is good. I feel, I feel at home and love, right? But here's the thing. We tend to do that with our lives, right? We don't want things to touch. We like the divider trace. And so we have church and we have state. And we have, you know, we have campus, which is chaotic. But then what do we have over here? For those of you who are last year, what are we over here? We, are, we have our holy huddle. And this life that we live over here at the RFC doesn't really affect that life that we live out there. And that life that we live out here, out, out on campus, doesn't really affect the life that we live in here in our holy huddle. There's separation. We have dividers, and the fluids of our life don't, you know, touch each other. Our Christianity doesn't affect our life, and our everyday life doesn't affect our Christianity. But right, that's not the picture that the scriptures paint for us. Notice from the very beginning, God wants to get his hands dirty with humanity. He's concerned for the whole of human life. 
He tells us to rule over every facet of life that he had first created. Right? Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God even cares about the most mundane task of gardening. You see, uh, the way I think Scripture intends for us to view our relationship to the whole of the created world, and by the way, when I say that, I don't just mean the physical creation. I mean culture as well, like the, 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 the ideas that we engage with, the media that we engage with, the work that we're going to engage with after we get our degrees. Scripture intends for us as Christians to relate to this whole of created, the whole of created order as a kingdom of priests. What do kings do? It's simple. They rule, right? They rule. Rule. Alright. What do priests do? What do priests do? Old Testament. They talk to God on behalf of whom? On behalf of the people, right? They are, what's the word for it? Starts with an M. Mediators, right? They mediate God to people. So we are a kingdom of priests. As we rule over the earth, what we're doing is we are imaging God to creation. As we rule over the earth, we are imaging God to creation. As we bring order to chaos in the world that surrounds us, we're imaging God to creation. We image God by ruling and we rule by imaging. It's the best, best uh, explanation I have of this. It's a quote. It's lengthy. It's from a, a biblical scholar named Michael Goheen. It is wordy. But like, just let your mind just sit in this for a second, okay? This matters. I think this really matters. I think this affects and hallows the whole of your very life. The passage that begins in Genesis 1, 26 is often healthily referred to as the cultural or creation mandate. It enjoins us to bring every type of cultural activity within the service of God. Indeed, there is a dynamic element to the image of God. God himself is revealed or imaged in his creation precisely as we are busy within the creation, developing its hidden potentials in agriculture, art, music, commerce, politics, scholarship, family life, church, leisure, and so on in ways that honor God. When we engage in cultural activities, when you engage with your schoolwork, when you go on and you get jobs, and you engage in those professions in such a way that it honors God, what you are doing is you are imaging God to creation. And therefore, you are being a kingdom of priests. Because as you rule over that thing, the thing over which you're engaging, which, by the way, is what we're supposed to do, to rule over it, and you rule over it well, and in a way that points to the one true living God, Yahweh, you are being a kingdom of priests. You are being an image bearer. As we take God's creative commands of let there be and develop the potential in them, 
Right? God created this world with tons and tons of potential for us to cultivate. We continue to spread the fragrance of his presence throughout the world that he made. I'm really loud. You see, the natural state of things in God's originally good creation is that every action and facet of our lives would be hallowed, would be set apart to glorify him because every action of ours would be imaging him. It would be acting as if God was acting with creation. God rules over creation well. God rules over creation with other-oriented love rather than self-giving love. God rules over creation in order to bring about its flourishing. And when we do the same, we are living into our identity as human beings. We are being what it was always meant to be, human. Christians should be human. Often think that we, we, we've made this mistake in our lives, and, and we think that, uh, and this is Christian culture, it's not you, I think this is grander Christian culture, and we think that we're like, Christians should in some way be like less human, right? Like we're almost like masochists. Does anyone know what masochist means? Right, like self-deprecating in a way, right? Like Christian, you know, oh, it's just, you know, like, well, you know, I can't do this, right? And like, it manifests itself, right? And Christianity is about don't drink, don't smoke, get good grades, and, uh, you know, like be like a generally decent person, right? Like, don't do, you know, don't do, the, oh, don't have premarital sex, right? Like, that, that's what you do. You, you hit that checklist of not doing things, and you're like, that's like, that's the Christian life, right? But I feel like that's what's often taught in churches, whether there are churches intend to teach that or not. I feel like that's what's taught. And, um, but that's not the case. It's not about being less human. Christianity is about being more human. And by the way, the most human person to have ever humaned is who? Jesus. Jesus is more human than you and I will ever be in this life. Jesus is more human than you or I will ever be in this life. Good news, by the way, right, is that that will change the life to God. There's no such thing as a sacred and secular divide. But rather for us, what this is telling us is that the dusty is divine. Okay? The dusty is divine. Here's the final point. This one's short, I promise you. Say this with me on three. One, two, three. Image bearers are in missional community. When we look at these worldwide whole earth commissions, all nations, there's a constant. God is always commissioning a community of people. Never a sole person, male and female, Abraham and his descendants, the entire nation of Israel, the 12 disciples, peoples from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Intrinsic to our very being, intrinsic to our identity as image bearers, is the fact that we were made in the image of a God who is community in and of himself. We believe as Christians in the triune God, Trinity, right? God is three in one. God is a community in and of himself. And if we were made in his image, it would only make sense that we were intended for community as well. So all these tasks that we're supposed to take, partake in, all these tasks and this 
identity, which has a lot of tasks alongside of it, and a part of it, that we are supposed to live out as humans, as Christians, are never meant to be taken on alone. There's a lot of good news in that. But that's the purpose of the church, at least part of it. That all this task that we are given, all this commissioning that we are under to undertake is to take place inside a community. By the way, that means it's harder. Because we live in a fallen world, that means that it's harder. It's easier often, right? My mother always says this, and it always gets my nerves, but I'm turning into my mother, I've decided, in my old age of 26. If you want to get something done right, what do you do? You do it yourself. That's right, Mom. Uh, my mom may listen to this later. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, it may be easier, but it's less fruitful. It may be easier, but it's less meaningful. It may be easier, but I think we all intrinsically know that it's going to leave something missing. This Christian life is meant, and by the way, that means this human life is meant to be lived inside of a community, and not just any community, but a community with a purpose.